Listener Production. What do you know about meningococcal disease? Do you know what symptoms to look out for in your children? Meningitis is a bacterial infection that can change from what looks like a simple infection to a potentially lethal disease within 24 hours. Today on Feed, Play, Love, why meningococcal is so dangerous for children and how parents can arm themselves with information about the disease. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Meningococcal is a word that can strike fear in the hearts of parents. The disease can have potentially devastating impacts and researchers are concerned about a rise in case numbers so far this year in Australia. They want parents to be on the lookout for early warning signs and to better understand how to prevent meningococcal. Dr Rodney Pearce is a GP and Deputy Chair on the board of the Immunisation Coalition. Hi Rodney, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Many of us will be familiar with the term meningococcal disease, but what is it exactly? The uh, bacteria called Neisseria meningitidis uh, can cause infections that don't harm us, but they can switch to an invasive form of disease, which can go on and form meningitis. It's something that can happen fairly quickly. So it's a bacterial infection that can turn from just living quietly in our nose to something that becomes life-threatening sometimes within 24 hours. Is it correct to say that babies and young children are most at risk? Yeah, we'd see the highest risk profiles in the first 12 months, um, certainly first two years, but certainly under five is the broad group we're concerned about. There's also another peak, 15 to 19-year-olds, where they're spreading lots of uh, infections. But the first couple of years of life um, is where the most serious and and the worst infections appear to occur. Do we know why that happens in that young cohort? There's a couple of reasons why young kids are particularly vulnerable. One is that they're coming across infections they've never seen before, so they don't have any innate protection. And secondly, uh, infections are spread amongst children at that age because they're not used to wiping their noses or... um, not coughing or sneezing over people. So the first couple of years of life, infections are spread. Anyone with someone at childcare will know they're picking up lots of infections during normal years. So um, it's a time when uh, kids are coming across infections for the first time so they don't have a natural resistance built in. What are the symptoms that we should be on the lookout for? Well, one of the difficulties with um, meningococcal disease is that it starts off like a common cold but um, high fever, just looking unwell can be the start, but it can progress and change. So basically be on the lookout for anything that is more than a common cold or starts off as a common cold, but then seems to be getting worse fairly quickly. Are there any rashes involved? Yeah, the the characteristic rash, we talk about a a sort of purple rash that, that appears over the body that from doctor's point of view doesn't, change colour when we press it, that distinctive purple um, meningococcal rash is something that occurs later in the disease, usually suggesting the disease is widespread. But early on, it may be that a child's just vomiting, it's got pale, blotchy skin, cold hands, just looking unwell, a bit of sensitivity to light, any meningitis irritation. And in very young children, we can actually um, 
see the child is obviously distressed or you can actually see there's swelling inside the brain through the fontanelle being uh, changed. In terms of the impact once it's widespread, what actually can happen if your child gets full-blown meningococcal disease? The invasive form of uh, meningococcal or meningococcal infection is when the bacteria sitting just in the respiratory system turns inwards and invades the meninges around the brain. So the covering of the brain becomes inflamed. So the child looks unwell, refusing to eat, difficulty being roused, vomiting, obviously unwell. As the inflammation around the brain continues, the infection spreads around the body. And we notice that um, while it's a rare disease, someone with this invasive disease there's a death rate of about 1 in 10 when it becomes aggressive and 1 in 5 people who survive this uh, can have brain damage, they become permanently deaf or there's loss of limb. And so it's a nasty disease if it takes hold. How is it treated? Can it be treated? It's a bacterial infection, so antibiotics can be useful, but once the disease becomes aggressive, it changes so quickly that sometimes even the use of antibiotics won't stop the spread of infection. So it's not something that we can rely on. The treatment will stop brain injury or loss of limbs, but it's a bacteria that should respond to antibiotics, but it needs to be treated early. You mentioned earlier that it, it's particularly dangerous for young children because they don't know how to necessarily contain their germs. Is it spread through coughing and sneezing like your average cold? Essentially, yes. So the, the reservoir of the bacteria Neisseria meningitidis. So that, that bacteria lives in uh, humans. It has no other natural reservoir of the disease. But most times it's a benign bacterial disease that just lives a bit like we have think, uh, bacteria living on our skin. They don't necessarily cause some damage, but they can change. We have bacteria living in our nose and our upper respiratory uh, systems. There's 13 uh, serotypes or strains that we've known about uh, the common ones that cause infections um, are ACW and Y and B, and the B, W and Y we're seeing more of that are causing the invasive disease. But that bacteria just lives normally and happily just occasionally when it turns nasty or becomes invasive that it causes this severe infection. Do you know why you have seen a rise in case numbers this year in Australia? Yeah, the, the thought generally as to why there's more around comes under two reasons. One is that uh, there hasn't been a spread of infection. So for a couple of years, we've seen a decline in all respiratory infections, including uh, the meningococcal infection. And secondly, we don't have a vaccine for all of the strains or there hasn't been a universal vaccine for all the strains. So what we see with selective advantage is that if you have a vaccine for one strain, then that tends to disappear, but other strains may come forward. So we think there's a couple of reasons, post-COVID plus the normal evolution of this particular illness. So tell me about the immunisation options for meningococcal, because from memory, when I had my children 10 years ago, it wasn't a common vaccine that you could get, but I had heard rumbling since then that you can get vaccines for it. Yeah, Australia's had slightly interesting rollout of meningitis vaccine. So the uh, different strains need slightly different vaccines. Australia first had a vaccine for the C uh, strain 
And so we were across the country vaccinating for the sea strain because that was causing most of the meningitis. Once we eradicated that, we saw the other strains and there was a gradual increase in the W. And in South Australia, we had an increase in meningococcal B. So around Australia, there was lots of different infections being seen. And at the same time, the technology to have different strains in a single vaccine was developed. But the B strain has always been hard to develop a vaccine. So we've got two vaccines with ACWY, which is part of a universal Australian routine vaccine in children in the first 18 months. And the B is, is a separate vaccine. So to cover all the strains that are causing the disease in Australia, we actually need two different injections to make sure we've covered all the strains that are circulating at the moment. So if parents are getting their children along to their local GP or to wherever they go to get their standard vaccinations for their kids, this would generally be included? Well, there's a different program between some of the states and the National Immunisation Program, the NIP, has got different vaccines than what some states and some particular groups of people are offered. So it's important that you actually check that you've covered all of the strains. One of the anomalies with this infection and this particular bacteria is that there's no single vaccine anywhere in the world that actually covers all of the strains that are significant. And we're seeing B, W and Y now that major circulating uh, strains. And we don't routinely have one vaccine that covers all of that. So it's important to actually check, talk to your GP, talk to the person giving you the vaccines to say, have I got all of the strains covered with the vaccines that I'm being offered? If parents are curious about both the vaccine and the actual infection itself, where should they go for more information? Well, the internet's a good spot generally, but to have specific information, ask your GP, ask the person you're getting a vaccine from. But there's good information, but certainly the GP would be an ideal person to talk to about it. And the GPs are very conscious of the fact that what looks like a mild infection can be a nasty infection within 24 hours if it is meningitis that's become invasive, if it is the meningococcal infection that we're concerned about. So the GPs will be able to talk to you about it and talk to you about how to manage it if you're concerned and also uh, maybe what to do to prevent it or reduce the risk. Rodney, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.